Welcome back to The Junction. Today, we are going to be talking about using AI to fast track your company's knowledge base. I mean, as long as I've been working, there's always been some sort of like company intranet and various companies I've worked at. A SharePoint, maybe it's just like one document that lives on the the server, the wiki. But, you know, there's like a place that hopefully people are collecting company policies. um, Yeah, it's written on paper in the basement, you know, in that file storage thing that people used to use. You know what? That that used to be a thing. Like printing out, you would document your process, you print it. Is that going to be the same? No, you put it in a binder, probably. In a binder. In a binder, a three hole punch. Oh. Finding the three-hole punch at the office used to be a nightmare. <laughs> that was a thing. That was a thing. It's like the stapler from the office, and, right? And you had to label the – you had to print out the – for the spine of the binder so that once you stacked it in the book case, oh, you're starting to, you could you're find starting it. to date yourself here a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure people know. I, just, I remember the dates. I just didn't ever install the drivers for the printer so I could say, oh – I can't print anything. I'm sorry. Oh, I've been there. Yeah. No. Okay. So let's talk about the, I guess where I was going with that is having a knowledge base is not like a foreign concept. There's probably companies that are doing it really, really, really well. I think Slack actually just rolled out within the last year, Yeah. six months, like an intranet sort of functionality. We've not, to my knowledge, used it here at Venn, but we have an intranet. It's on our own domain. Like, I don't Google really Drive. know. Is it Google Drive? Yeah, so is that what it is? You use it all the time, apparently. I have it bookmarked, and I know it's intranet.ven.com, something it, like that. Should go. I not say that? Can well, anyone get to it? No, you have to You have to be logged in. So okay. You could try, but it won't work. All right. So we've got this, you know, sort of centralized knowledge base, but then you have teams, and each team has a different way of working. Where marketing lives and works and spends our time. I mean, we're we're all doing stuff in Slack, but as far as like documenting processes, I might be documenting my processes in a Google Doc, which doesn't necessarily get sent over to the internet because I don't I don't know that's not what I use. I don't have access to to, right. to go upload or edit. Right. Nobody's told me at the company that's where I need to put my process. For policies, maybe not yet. not yet. After this, after this recording, though, sure. No, I, I'm a firm believer. We need to have a we need to have a single source of, of truth in some capacity. But I know in talking to other department heads at our company that like different, our knowledge base is kept in different kind of corners. Yeah, and so there is this, in some sense, a challenge of like, how do I do this thing mm-hmm. if I'm not in that department or Let's say I'm a new hire and I go in to join the customer support team and I'm resolving issues or bugs and I want to know if that's ever been solved before. Is there an easy way to go find that? Maybe. Maybe you jump into Slack. Right. Do a quick search. So this whole idea of being able to use AI tools to ask these questions like natural language that's that's what I, I think we should talk about today. Yeah. This this use case of this knowledge base, we're calling it Ask Bjorn, yeah. right? Because and if you don't know, Bjorn is our our favorite Yeti. Yeah. Well, I think it's the world's favorite Yeti. Oh, naturally. Yeah. yeah. So we can ask social media. <laughs> Let's take a poll. Yeah. 
here, answer our survey questions after this, after this uh, show. So how, let's talk through the use case a little bit and, you know, maybe if there's other, I think other people would be interested in doing this at their company if they don't already have some capability to, and I'm not talking a search bar, okay? Right. Like you type in. Right. No, it's a, it's a beyond that. Yeah. It's beyond that, right? No, no, too bad. Knowledge base. What's, what's really unique here isn't that, um, isn't that we don't document. It isn't that we do document. It's that we really struggle to disperse information at the time that it's needed. And I think at every company. Oh, this is not just us. This is this pervasive. Is, well, you've got a ton of companies that haven't mastered even documenting it, right? But the moment that you do, um, you have to be able to disperse that information at the time that it's needed because, you know, for the most part, it's typically information that is really monotonous or boring, right? And we don't want or need people necessarily to remember, memorize it. Um, and if they do, they might memorize it incorrectly. Um, and so where, where we're struggling or where we have struggled with this and why we're trying to solve this problem is that these questions pop up in the middle of phone calls with customers, with prospects, right? And they're asking, hey, are you SOC 2 compliant? And, you know, that, that sales guy that just started yesterday is like, uh, and, you know, that moment of pause right. is like, is now confidence is gone. You know, like this guy doesn't even know, you know? Um, and so being able to answer those questions quickly, even without having the individual typing anything, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like AI is listening to the call and preemptively answering the questions while they're being asked, you know, Hey, does intact have an API and in your little panel, maybe in Slack, I don't know, right. It pops up and it says, here's the question. Does intact have an API? Yes. Here's the link to it. It's that kind of idea that we could very quickly give people the answers to the questions that they're looking for and not just like, hey, here's like 10 different documents, right? Or here's the top 10 things. It's the answer to that specific question at the moment that you need it. And that's kind of the idea that we're trying to tackle. Um, and so ask Bjorn, right, is this this kind of idea that we've got a ton of different, you know, unique things about then the way we do things. We've got a project methodology. We've got six different phases of that, right? And we've got this hyper care thing. And then we've got kind of these managed services. And we just deal within uh, so many different platforms that we have to have a wide, diverse knowledge base on how things are, uh, the terminology, right? The nomenclature, HubSpot calls it companies and Salesforce calls it accounts. You know, there's just so much more that we have to uh, digest and take in to be able to speak about it in an expert manner. Well, one of the things I think any small and growing scaling company struggles with if, is training and that institutional knowledge. That's yeah. You're kind of teetering on that, right? So it's one thing right. to have, here's our policy on this thing. And it's another thing to, this is our way of work. This is our methodology. That's probably, docu- I mean, it is documented, right? right. But usually... The, when we've onboarded people, it's a person delivering that to say, okay, I'm training you up on these uh, applications and here's the fields, right? And a lot of this happens on the job or let's say they already are familiar with it and they're qualified when they come in the door. But these are the types of things that it's not just a communication problem. 
it's not just a training problem. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's not just a sales. Like, right. there, it's multifaceted, and so that's that's one of the things that it's one use case. But I think it we could argue that apply it across yeah. most, multiple well, disciplines. I, I think everybody resonates with this, and maybe, maybe well, maybe I don't because I don't really care what I eat. I'll just eat anything. But there's a lot of questions of like. When you're asked when you're at a restaurant, hey, is this gluten free? Right, and this guy just started; he doesn't know, but he can go figure it out. Right, you know, it's any kind of knowledge I mean, like that. No, like, it's it's huge. Like giving equipping people with. I was just at the container store over the weekend. Okay, I picked up these. You would, yeah, I did mixing bowls, but they had these wood tops, and I was like, I don't think these are probably dishwasher safe. You know, mm. I'm a I'm a hand wash kind of gal. I'm not afraid of that. I'm more concerned if they're cedar or if they're oak. You know, what kind of varnish do they have mm. on them? Mm. No, they looked I, like acacia. They look, <laughs> oh my gosh, they looked fancy. <laughs> they were on sale. Okay, oh, so yeah, but I sure. I wanted to know, like, so that I can then communicate to my household. Mm. These can't go in the dishwasher. Right. So hand. I asked the associate. Said, "Do you happen to know by chance? I didn't see it on the label. Um, can can I wash these?" She scans the, she goes, you know, I don't know. She looks at it just like I did. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, don't, I didn't see it there. She scans the barcode and goes, uh, the bowl is dishwasher safe and the lid hand wash only. And wow. she, she literally after says that, she goes, I love technology. That's awesome. I love, she goes, I before would have had to go ask somebody in the back room. Mm. I mean, she, that was its own like little case study yeah, right there. there and so granted that we're not talking about AI, Probably not even talking about automation in that sense. Right. But it's still powerful to be able to service that information for someone who is new mm-hmm. or it, you know, doesn't have to walk to the back office yeah. to get a manager. Right. For information that they, you know, are in a position yeah. that they should know. Well, that's that same kind of idea is what we want to tackle. And not just from like the traditional knowledge base, right? Like Okay, here's the question. Okay, here's the link to the answer, you know. And not to make that sound like overly boring, but people have been doing that for a long time. What we want to do is is above and beyond that. We're going to have multiple, we do have multiple types of data sets, right? We've talked the heck out of call transcripts, right? We've got all of these Slack channels. We've got a ton of email, um, all of these different repositories of data, And so this idea of a knowledge base kind of extends above and beyond the traditional sense, right? Ask Bjorn is uh, this idea that we can ask um, of all of the data that we have, right? I want to ask this a question like, hey, what were the topics from, we do this thing called Famoli on Monday. Mm. What were the high level points from Famoli on Monday? Um, you know, traditionally, what are those, what, what does Intact have an API? You know, it's like kind of this general um, knowledge base assistant that has access to multiple types of data. And for the most part, it's almost real time. You know what I like about it too? You're not dependent on another human to answer it. And let's say, because we all do it, you don't want to ask for fear mm. of looking like mm. I should know the answer to this. Yeah. We do that. We were doing that in uh, in GPT, right? Like we're asking a little bit more finer detail or like, what does this acronym mean again? Right. So it takes away the layer of, well, now I have to bug Chase. Yeah. 
And he's also going to think that's a really dumb question. Uh, like no dumb I questions. trained you on that, right? So it, it takes that away. But let's go to number three, what I love about it. On the back end, we can see what, what questions employees are asking so that we can better improve our training up front and our mm. onboarding. And we can, mm. like, we can tweak those areas. We yeah. can surface that information in, in, on the internet, yep. in this knowledge base. We can go, gosh, everybody keeps asking where our vacation policy is. Yeah. Or do, is it not linked out? Yeah. Why does everyone get, oh, I think everyone just needs a vacation. You know, but like mm. we can, we can see trends. Right in the questions people are asking and figure out where we have gaps in information yep. and maybe the things that we're need to be better about communicating or training on up front. Yeah. I'm just going to start asking you, why is Mel so great at what she does? And then that'll start surfacing up, you know, like how is she so good? What does she do? She must get up at four 30 in the morning and go work out every day. <laughs> You're, I mean, that's not, oh, not true. Oh wait, do you, you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so back to this, what what are our requirements, right? So like going back to the use case, we, we've identified the problem. We know the input is definitely going to be our vent intranet at minimum. You mentioned Slack. You mentioned email. Yeah. I'd be curious how you actually operationalize that because you have to probably have a lot of filters and gates on that. that is you don't want to feed it everything. No, that is something that we will need to focus on from a security standpoint. And that's not necessarily, I mean, maybe, maybe it's in the automation realm, right? But Giving it's uh, the security clearance, right? The top secret information kind of thing is hot in the news these days. But it's it's like the need to know. Do you need to know this? And that level of automation is something that we will pipe in. It's it's well, what is the email about? Kind of thing, right? Is it relevant to what you're asking? Should you have access to this kind of thing? And those are controls, security controls that we need to build in. Right. I mean, I guess I should say this isn't something that we're not already to some level syncing. I mean, we have the HubSpot. Uh, Gmail connector turned yep. on for everybody's inbox. Yep. So we're pulling emails and email history into accounts, contacts, yep. opportunities. We're syncing those between Salesforce and HubSpot. Yeah. So there is already some level of that happening. You do today. have, well, you have some level of um, just hierarchy of automation and data access that we already have access to, right? I'm working on a deal, right? And all of the emails with that individual are associated with an opportunity. Well, those that probably means I should naturally have access to those emails, right? But maybe Scott sends an email to somebody at the same company, but that person isn't associated with my opportunity. So I shouldn't be able to ask, you know, hey, what in, what is what are Scott and Mel talking about? You right. know, those are things where that security and that quick automation um, is going to preemptively decide. Chase can access this, and he cannot access this. So when he asks questions, right, this is the data set that he should have access to. So in practice, I'm on the team here at Venn, and I have access to Ask Bjorn. I go into Slack, and I typed in a prompt. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. That's cool. Boom. So then I would only get access to answers, or it would it would provide an answer appropriate to the question based on what we've trained it or fed it. Yep. It goes back to that context, right? And this is where this is where above and beyond or maybe below below and beyond AI, right? We're doing that automation. We're we're taking in the context, right? Mel, this is Mel asking, right? She's a director level. She's in charge of marketing. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah. 
Mel isn't associated with any opportunities, but this type of question is associated with marketing and therefore we're going to surface up this data set. Right. I remember when I first started for Venn, I asked, can I get access to all of our sales calls? All of them? (laughs) It wasn't as simple as getting access to all the sales calls because I wanted to mine them for insights. And we were doing some really cool stuff that we've talked about in an earlier episode around taking the Zoom recording, putting it into Salesforce, and then also backing it up on Google Drive. But I don't think we were differentiating between this was a sales call and this was a call you know, between a manager and their direct report. So it wasn't as simple as slicing and dicing Mm -hmm. the calls that way. And because there are very valid reasons and concerns around giving someone access to all recordings, um, it became sort of this, how do we solve that? Yeah. And then it was like, well, okay, just send me the good ones. (laughs) (laughs) Easy. Yeah. Okay. Come Friday, yeah. I didn't get any calls. I know they had calls. Uh-huh. Or, hey guys, you gonna have any good sales calls? Do you have any bad ones? I want to know what they. I, I just want to know what they asked. Right. I was trying to get understanding. Right. Especially on those first one two calls, what questions are they asking? Yep. So, um, that's as you say that based on somebody's basically permission set, we would be able to surface yeah that and, information and maybe need. Need to know is a good uh, general statement, but in the in the same uh, idea that we want to have security and control, like you don't want, like maybe we have a thousand emails with this one individual. You don't want to surface a thousand emails, right? Like you're looking for a very specific question as it pertains to a very specific set of data. So taking in the entire context of the question where this person sits in the organization, what uh, type of function are they are they uh, trying to uh, provide to the company. That's We can take all of that, grab the right info that that person should have access to, to pop up like this kind of knowledge base, this instantaneous knowledge base that answers the questions as fast as possible. Okay, so we're, we keep doing this. We get really excited, but we got to bring it back to the how do we implement it what does it take, right? So like for that person out there listening, nodding along, they're like, this sounds great. I want to go do this. Yeah, hook me up. What is our next? So have we scoped it in terms of the number of hours it would take, the resources, the, you know, what yeah. does that look like? This this is probably one of the more challenging things to achieve unless you start out really simple. And what we typically end up doing is breaking it down into the smallest um, maybe you've heard minimum viable product, right? Let's start with the smallest thing and iterate on it. We're not going to give it, or maybe we're not going to give it all of the data right out of the gate because that will take way more time. So we'll probably start out with uh, the intranet, right? Digest the internet, give it access to that data. There is some uh, uh, some more advanced things that you can do where basically you can give it kind of like um, uh, with the Dewey Decimal System, right? <laughs> Old school. Oh, that's been a minute. Yeah, middle yeah. school, librarian, right? Basically give the AI the location to the answer depending on what the question is. Mm. That is probably the first step that we're going to tackle. Um, <clears throat> and there's a specific way you do that within uh, within um, the AI systems specifically to open, um, open AI. You do it within this idea of called embedding, 
embedding equals Dewey Decimal System, right? Basically, hey, these are where the uh, the answers are to these types of questions. It's way more complex than what I'm making it out to be, but that's probably the first thing we're going to tackle. So get your data right, right? Then figure out the best way to give this model access to that data, which is probably the most challenging thing to do here. And if you're not technically inclined, reach out. Love to help you, give you some high-level answers here. Or, you know, maybe we can help you do it all together. Um, after that, that's where you got to provide that level of UI, and that's where we're going to pull in Slack, right? We don't need to go build out our own chatbot. What about the permission sets? Yeah, great question. That's going to be within Salesforce, right? So Salesforce, okay. we've already got all of these permissions. We already know where people are in the hierarchy. What are they connected to? Are they connected to that opportunity? Is this even their account? You know, that level of security, we're going to let another system control. Um, the whole goal isn't to try to build things from scratch, it's to build upon the things that we already have. This thing that we keep going back to, layering the AI on right. top. Yeah, that's really interesting. Should we be concerned about hallucination? We've uh, talked about it, yeah. right? Like it, it wants to come up with an answer, it has high confidence, mm. even though you're in your own system. Could it? So let me give you an example. I ask, how many days of PTO do I have at Venn? Right? One. <laughs> One hundred, <laughs> right? You All had of a sudden, zero well, I don't know. I mean, I've seen, I've seen crazier things that you know, ChatGPT has <laughs> yeah. done. So I'm just wondering, how does the company, you know? How do you put safeguards? Yeah, this this probably goes into training. Is probably one take that you could training the model. Training the model, right? You could pull in like simple rules, like when they ask this type of question, here's the prompt: How many days of PTO do I have? The answer to the question is refer like the prompt, refer to the policy. Refer to your Gusto account. We use Gusto, right? Right. Okay. And you could go about it that way. You could also. I don't love that. You're jumping them out to another system, yeah. Chase. Come on. Well, you're trying to game it, right? That's, Can't you just pull in that, like you've got access to the you, Gusto API or something? Boom. I don't know. We totally like, could. Okay. We talked about accessing all these different data sets. Yeah. Right? We could totally do that. Okay. Um, but if you want to put in rules in place, right? Like, I don't know, I, I'm thinking bad actor, right? Malicious, you know, you can put in kind of preemptive type deals, like rules. And I think this is what OpenAI is doing to some extent when you ask like a really, uh, I don't know, you ask it to do something illegal, right? How do I make a bomb or how do I do some drugs or, you know, like whatever <laughs> these illicit questions are, you can um, basically rate the question to determine if it is something that we should or should not be answering. And if it is not, or you can you can kind of flag and you can preempt um and send a response that says, hey, Ask Bjorn uh, loves your question, but unfortunately this is something that we're not able to answer. right? And you don't even send that over to your large language model, and you just stop the deal right? and just send a nice, polite response. Um, or it could be rude, you know, polite or rude, whichever tone you want to take. Um, and then it sends a Slack message to their, their <laughs> hiring manager. Yeah, red flag, red yeah. flag. <laughs> But that's, uh, I mean, there's a couple of ways that you can go about doing that. Worrying, and that is a good uh, concern. Hallucinations, right, are, are going to be something that you should be concerned about. 
And this probably goes back into something that we try to focus on really hard, and that's testing. You got to test this thing. Ask it all types of questions. Always be testing. Always be testing. How many days of PTO does Mel have? And if it says 100, right? And uh, you probably don't want to give Mel access to that right away. Mel's gone. <laughs> Mel's on vacation yeah. by that point. She's in Cosmel. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> there's, in, there's internet down there, I think. Right. Or something. That makes sense. Cost. I don't yeah. think we really answered the question there. So like... Are we talking 10 hours of someone someone who's technically, like you said, if you don't know where to start, yeah, you know, there there are smart people out there that can assist. But if someone has the resources or the technical know-how in-house to do this, yeah. are we talking 10 hours, 50 yeah. hours? It probably depends on the size of your data and how many data sets. Yeah. But can you ballpark it? How long is it going to take us? Yeah. Well, this really depends on where you're starting. With OpenAI, you can build and train a model off of an existing model that has already been trained, right? And that kind of idea is where you're providing it existing, uh, sorry, uh, a small data set, right? And we talked about kind of like 100 um, prompts or 100 examples is kind of like the bare minimum. Well, if you start out with the bare minimum, we're talking like a couple bucks, right? Literally a couple bucks. Obviously, there's a lot more involved to get it all connected and touching all your data and all that stuff, right? And then we talked about in an earlier episode as far as usage, like... Okay, so a couple bucks to set it up, but yeah. I mean, it would the cost ongoing cost would probably be f- fairly minimal. Yeah, and and I know people are going to be like, "Oh my gosh, it's way more expensive than that." Da, 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 da. It, I'm saying at the bare minimum, right, the lowest, the least amount of effort, right. We're talking about I don't know, call it less than a hundred dollars to get it trained and running uh, some basic prompts, right. There is, there are certainly use cases where you're going to have to send in hundreds of thousands of examples, and you're talking about a decent chunk of change, right? Ten grand, fifty grand plus, depending on what you're doing. How much context are you putting in the prompts, right? Basically, it goes back to the tokens, right? If you send yeah. it a hundred prompts worth of tokens, little, little cost, right? If you're sending it hundred, a hundred million tokens, well, you're talking a lot, a lot of money, right? Same thing on the prompt side, right? If they're asking simple questions like, how many days of PTO do I have? Well, it's probably like 10, 15 tokens, right? But if they're asking really complex questions that are very lengthy, like paragraphs worth, and then they're, everybody's doing it over and over again, well, now your costs start to add up. And for the most part, I think this is somewhat linear based on the number of people that you have because they're all probably going to be asking similar questions, Um and if they're not, again, the insights that you'll get from the types of questions right. might be able to help inform where you can conduct some additional training. Oh, for sure. Or even surface some like new capabilities of team members. You know, they're asking questions. It's not about PTO. It's kind of about your customer segments and things like that. Right. You might go, wow, maybe it's not something I've considered. Well, I, I would uh, advise you against just unleashing something and just like waiting for the bill to come. Um, but I love your idea of like, hey, let's watch what people are putting in. Not in like a... Not well, in a big brother way. Yeah, but like, hey, they are asking about PTO a lot. Maybe we do need to, you know, surface this info. Maybe we should automate it and tell you every paycheck what's your PTO balance in Slack automatically, you know? Yeah. You could in theory, reduce your cost by answering those questions in advance in some faster format than them logging into Gusto. Well, and I do think it's important, as with any any investment in technology, um, we, we run into this a lot with clients. Yeah. Right? If A lot of times people don't know the cost of an integration, especially if 
the, there's a level of service, right, to do the work. It's not just in, oh, in yeah. the work that we're doing, especially custom integrations. They're not just turning it on and it runs. There's also ongoing costs right. to maintain it. Oh, for sure. But when you look at the time savings and you actually quantify the hours saved on your team or full-time resource, the cost of having a Salesforce administrator on staff, full, you know, when we, we could go on about that. You have to do the same exercise for these use cases. Yeah. So how much time is spent today where team members are asking their managers and their HR coordinate, you know, their HR business partner questions of this nature? First of all, like who's who's the subject matter expert? What data sources? Who maintains the data source? And how often are they, you know, surfacing yeah. this information right. and sharing this information with people? And that's just like rudimentary, just time savings. But that time translates into money because they're not oh, doing sure. something else. Well, certainly don't take my, you know, hey, it's a couple bucks, right? And be like, oh my gosh, we're going to make bank, you know? But I also don't think that just because something costs $10,000 or $50,000 doesn't mean that it's not worth the, oh, easily. the investment wow. over time. Like you said, you know, it's that kind of ROI and calculation that you need to do. And if what you're trying to achieve is $100,000 worth in cost or investment, right, on the upfront side, what are you going to gain on the back end? And these are all questions that you should be asking naturally right. in, in anything that you do from a business standpoint. I mean, we've been doing it. This is This is a little bit different use case, but we've been doing it from a... In our last episode, we talked about Zoom transcripts. Um, one of the questions I know that first came to my mind as we were talking about these things is let's not go replicate something that a Salesforce or a HubSpot or a Zoom is already going to go do. Right. Granted, it's in one system, right? Mm-hmm. We're kind of talking about bridging the gap yep. between systems, but we don't want to go replicate something that in, in with AI that another tool is already probably going to go do if they haven't done already. But so that that's also just another consideration. I think it's important for, for anyone listening. I do need to address this headline that you, uh, you put in for this episode. Five ways AI might destroy the world. Quote, everyone on earth could fall over dead in the same second. <laughs> From the Guardian. Wow. In the same exact second. I just... Like even if that was going to be a thing, I feel like that just wouldn't theoretically be possible. You know, I, like even if a meteor hit hit Earth, like it's going to take more than one second for the whole. Was this thing just to blow clickbait? I it's got to be. It's got to be. You know, <laughs> like yeah, I get like you know like Terminator style. You know, right? Uh, th- that these things might be problems, but I, I think there are some general fears, and people just don't know what they don't know. And when you don't know what you don't know, right, that kind of worries you. Yeah. And I can kind of get it. I fell into that category early on where I was like, mm, I don't really understand it. I'm not yeah. sure how this is going to everybody, – everybody thinks this way. How is this going to affect me? Yeah. Um, well, I, I got to tell you, I don't really have much commentary on that one. That one kind of says it, <laughs> says it all and it's – it feels a little, uh, you know, looking through these there. things. If if AI systems wanted to push humans out, they would they would have a lot of levers to pull. You know what? If that's only if you give it access to those levers. As I said this earlier, it all runs on electricity. So if you unplug it, guess what? It's not going to work. Yeah. Um, I think for the most part, uh, here here's my 
biggest concern is that we will achieve some level of AGI, right? It will have some ability to self-improve, to act on its own. And if we don't do it right, or if there is a bad actor in play, that thing will run off and they're not going to pull the electricity because it's probably benefiting them in some form or fashion. And that's probably where we're not going to um, be prepared. The one that sticks out the most for me is you can trade on the market instantaneously through API, right? So this AGI could figure out how to make money very quickly and it could crash markets very quickly. You know, like the instant boom, everything's dropping and that could set off, you know, some level of economic disaster. That's my biggest concern. I think we are still quite a ways off. And thankfully, you can't just like willy-nilly go trade money on the internet. Like you, there are some know-your-customer kind of deals, right? You have to put in your social security number, right? You have to pump some level of money into it to get money back. Um, right. There are some safeguards, right? But that is one of my general fears. I do think, as with any of these things, when you start to look at why am I afraid of this, trying to have a better understanding of it oh, for sure. is the first step you can take. So listening to this podcast, I don't know, we're, we're kind of mu- like working our way through it, right? We're trying to understand and unpack these questions that other people have ourselves, right? We're not AI, like we're not out there like speaking at IBM Gartner right. conferences, right? But I do think that the more we open up the conversation and share, info share, knowledge share, here's how we're using these tools for good. Here's how we're using these tools to run our business. Yeah. Here's how we're using these tools to be better uh, professionals in yep. our domains. Um, that that's that's where I think um, taking that first step to understand what's possible. Yeah, you know, we, that we'll be more equipped to when that happens. Hopefully, never. But right. like, as things uh, do happen, because they will, um, that are not positive, um, we at least have kind of a baseline or a foundation of. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. Let's hit up the second one. This one is really interesting. Ukraine gained advantage in a war against Putin with custom-built AI, unprecedented testing ground. Um, so this, this particular article is out today. It's basically talking about how they're using AI to compete against their, you know, their number one enemy. Obviously, um, lots of crazy events unfolding over there, drones, I mean, Basically, this is next-gen warfare. Mm. And what they're doing with AI is basically playing out all of these different scenarios and finding the best, like, what is the best next thing I should do? It always goes back to giving it a lot of context, a lot of data, right, predicting what I should do next. And this is what's going to be really interesting. Um, It doesn't necessarily talk about this in the article, but what gets me slightly concerned, right, is when we are giving the AI control over the trigger, Right. It can mm. shoot. It can pull that trigger and it can deploy the bomb. It can right. It's one thing to identify and categorize like events right. or people. It's another thing to like take life, you know? And yeah. and we're programming we're programming these things to take life. That's probably my biggest concern. Um now do I believe Ukraine is is doing everything they can to, you know, push back this enemy, to push back Russia, Russia. Absolutely. They're going to, they're going to take this to the extreme because they're being attacked, right? Right. They're being invaded by a foreign invader and they're going to do whatever it takes to get rid of them. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there there really is. It feels, I know there are still, we talked at one point, what AI can and cannot do. And since then, I've really, this has sort of kept me up at night, like yeah. making a list of, oh, I can't do that. Yeah. Like, I have a hair appointment on Saturday. Right. It's not going to cut my hair. <laughs> like, <laughs> not, is it going to color my yet. hair? I mean, I guess there's like robots one day that'll do that. Right. I hope I, I hope that's not a thing. But, um, you know, there there are like... Absolutely, go make a list because it'll help you. I say it's keeping me up at night, but it also help you sleep better at night because right. it's easy to go down this like rabbit hole of doom and gloom with this stuff if you're not careful, right? Like the it can be used for bad. Oh, for sure. Scenarios. So, well, um, you can always at least at the very least go back to it can't do it unless somebody does it. Like some individual is going to have to cross some, if it's an ethical boundary, right? They're going to have to cross that boundary. Then they're going to have to program it. Then they're going to have to test it. And so it's just not going to do that out of the gate. Um, so you do have some time, right? You can still sleep well knowing that that isn't going to happen overnight. Um, maybe in a, like in five or 10 years, like, okay, maybe you should, uh, you know, I don't know where, uh, take, take some, take some meds where you've, your face mask, <laughs> have good dreams, not bad Self-care. dreams. Yeah. Self-care. Self-care. You know? I believe in a good self-care routine. Yeah. Or just okay. don't go to sleep and, you know, work out. I don't know. Time. I guess we'll be talking about it at some point. Hopefully in the future we'll have an yeah. episode on it. Episode 345. We'll say, hey, remember back in 2023? <laughs> they were so young. <laughs> I mean, we, we would still be young, you know, then, of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you. I don't know what you're trying to say. I don't have any white hairs. All right. Well, that's all we got. So thanks for joining us. We covered a lot of ground. So yeah. again, please let us know what you think. Send us an email, thejunction at ventechnology.com. Until next time, keep it automated. 